Plan B with Rebecca Davis, which as of next week moves to Thursdays to accommodate some professional issues in Rebecca's life. So this is the last <laughs> Friday Plan B, but as of next week, we will have Thursday Plan Bs from 3.30. Um, I see that in, I presume, in response to your Daily Maverick article yesterday about the Mowbray Police Station's Facebook page, it has been removed from Facebook. Your producer was just telling me. I'm glad glad to hear it. I thought it was a really inappropriate form of communication, so I'm glad they've taken taken action. For I, those who, who didn't read the article? Um, the Mowbray Police Station had a Facebook page up which was used sort of every now and then to give relevant information about police matters, but more often to share photographs and memes about police-related stuff, but with the sort of theme of, if you break the law, we will kill you. Um, so there was a photograph, for instance, with a picture of a gun that said, don't expect a warning shot due to the price of ammo. There was another one that said, thieves, please carry um, ID so we can notify next of kin. So all intended as jokes, inverted commas, but obviously far less humorous given Saps's record of police brutality over the last few years. So I'm really glad to hear it's gone down. I mean, it has gone down. I thought it was a really sort of... I mean, just not the, the view of police culture you want to see as somebody wondering how to get in touch with the Mowbray Police Station. I, when I was doing a show over the Christmas period and I was broadcasting on both 702 and Cape Talk, um, I had a section on the um, Jacob Zuma having said that he really likes vendor women because they lie down on the floor when mm. a man comes into the room. And mm. I said what I think most people would expect me to say about something like that. And I was taken to task by a lot of vendor people and also other people for being insensitive to cultural norms and how dare I tread on sacred ground when it has nothing to do with me. But I'm going to do it again now. I mean, folks, if you did not know, Claudia Matswaneng, him from the SABC, has been given a wife, a cow and a calf by traditional vendor chiefs. Women were lined up in Toyando, Limpopo, on Wednesday for Motswaneng to choose one. And uh, the girls were around 10, uh, 10 in number, not mm -hmm. 10 in age, and they mm -hmm. paraded for him to choose. He chose the one he liked. All the girls were there with their parents. Their parents knew what was going to happen, and they all agreed. Well, they all agreed, so therefore that makes it all right, doesn't it? And note that's the parents who agreed. The parents were all there. The parents were all happy, and the parents agreed. There's actually no mention of what the women thought about this little procession. Well, they wouldn't have taken part in the procession if they didn't think it was a reasonable idea. Well, that's an assumption. But um, sure, that's our hope, I suppose. I mean, John, I was just gobsmacked, honestly, absolutely gobsmacked. I mean, this is just, I think, based on one report in the Sowetan. So I'm just hoping there's a whole iceberg of information that we don't have to hand, which may cast this in a better light. No, you can't. You can't podcast it in a better light. A better light is, Claudia Motsuneng says, this is crazy, this is utterly ridiculous, that this should be done for me. Tell those women to go and study. Yes, quite. I mean, John, <laughs> yeah. Corporate gifting, in my opinion. I mean, if you're going to give a, a COO a gift, a calendar maybe, a lovely leather-bound file of facts, but a woman, 
I mean, that's, that just seems the last word. And the fact that the woman was here packaged together with a cow and a calf, I think makes it all the more offensive that this was the sort of gift bouquet, you know, women and cows. Congratulations. It's just, I mean, it has, whatever you say about cultural practice, John, this just should have absolutely no place in 21st century South Africa. I'm sorry. I don't see another way around it. And the fact that also they tried to link it as a sort of performance um, performance reward for his job at the SABC. I'm not sure what the vendor leaders have to do with that, but that was the ostensible motivation for the gift, that he understands the objectives of the SABC. Yes, and he received the gifts because he was, quote, <laughs> committed to his job and understands the strategic objectives of the SABC. So if you're bonking a 23-year-old, well, that enables you to fulfill the strategic objectives of the SABC. So it was important for him to accept the young wife. I mean, it's... I, John, I just, I'll be interested to see if any of your listeners can actually defend this practice because t- to me, I mean, I just don't know where you'd, where you'd start. Where you bring a COO and then at the end of a meeting you line up women and he chooses one. It's just... So wrong. It's just so, so wrong. So wrong. I'm hoping in just more than an hour's time to be talking to the economics professor who did the study, which has been publicised today, saying that foreign migrants in South Africa have a greater chance of employment than locals, although they work mainly in low-paid informal jobs. And obviously I will try to understand the reasons why they are more employed. I mean, there's some obvious reasons that suggest themselves. Firstly, that they are more exploitable, more willing to be exploited and less protected by the law. What, what do you think might be behind it? I think that's right. I think they're less likely to have access to social grants or any kind of <clears throat> alternative means of staying alive, basically. And then I think there's the not inconsiderable factor that your earlier caller mentioned, that there is a perception in South Africa, apparently particularly among the middle classes, that migrants make for outstanding members of the labor force. I mean, some of the adjectives that listener was using, I, I can't remember I mean, what you were saying. It's not unique to South Africa. You talk to a random selection of <coughs> Brits and they'll tell you they'd much rather have a Polish builder than a British builder, for example. That's true, although I think the study did say that this particular situation is unique to South Africa, whereby the employment rate for migrants is higher than for non-South Africans. So it's interesting why it would be so extremely the case here in South Africa. I agree with you. I mean, there is that perception. Having lived for a couple of years in the UK, there was definitely the notion of South Africans, for instance, as hardworking. But again, as you say, for reasons such that South Africans would take absolutely rubbish jobs in England that um, locals perhaps wouldn't want to. I don't know if that's the case here because, you know, we do have such a desperate unemployment problem that... I've yet to see anything other than anecdotal suggestions that South Africans are turning their noses up at jobs being offered well, to them. Well, he has something more than anecdotal. How else does one <laughs> interpret the evidence other than that immigrants are prepared to do jobs which South Africans are not? And unless one says the South Africans are not being offered the jobs, they're not being given an opportunity to turn them down. Well, I'm wondering if that isn't perhaps part of the case, given that there does seem to be a preference in some quarters for hiring um, for hiring migrant workers, so I'm sure it's it's a bit of a bit of both, John. But it is interesting this this sort of because there's xenophobia on the one hand, then there's a strange the the flip side, which is this sort of um, valorizing, glorifying of, of of migrants on the other hand, in terms of what they can bring to the labour force, which I find quite fascinating. So, um, for me, there might well be South Africans. There, there's this notice of the there's this notion of the uh, discouraged job seeker, which is part of Stats SA's approach to, to the figures. And of course, there are discouraged job seekers. But I drive every morning up 
Steenberg Road, and there are always between 30 and 40 men aged between 20 and 50 waiting in the hopes that they will somebody will stop and load them onto the back of a bucky and take them off to do poorly paid manual labor and right uh, i stop occasionally and speak to them and and almost all of them are from the eastern cape hoping to have a better life in in and around cape town and they want to work right right well that's interesting and you know that again suggests that it isn't I mean, I do think there is this classist notion of, you know, the benefits scrounger, the the person who, who the, the lazy South African. I just don't think I don't think that is possibly backed up by, by the majority of cases here, John. But it is certainly a really a really interesting study, and it's to be hoped that it won't actually fuel some form of of, of xenophobia if these the results are widely published. I mean, that perception is there. <coughs> you know, it's in the television interviews and the media interviews, the radio interviews, after these outbreaks of violence directed mostly mm. against foreigners, you do hear they are taking, they're stealing eight, their RDP houses from us, they're taking our jobs from us, they are taking the social and health benefits which are due us. So it is a flame waiting to be fanned. That's right. And, I mean, this seems to, to suggest that there's some, some validity to that, John. The question is how one, how one deals with that, I suppose. Mm. And um, I have not read the article. Well, I gave it a quick scan when you sent it to me um, about Cesar Milan's dog training theories. You're interested in this? I'm quite interested in this, John. I don't own a dog myself, but um, a large number of people I know have over the past few years been extremely influenced by Cesar Milan, who's the Mexican-American dog whisperer, who's Oprah's dog trainer of choice. I think he's always on American talk shows talking dogs. Um, and he has a quite specific approach to dog training, which I think has been very influential, which is all to do with um, establishing and asserting your dominance over your dog. So he suggests, for instance, and it's all based on the notion of how dogs behave in the wild, of how wolves behave, which he says we, sh- we should um, learn from this in terms of how we treat domestic dogs. So he says, for instance, that as a dog owner, you should eat, always eat before your dog so that the dog can, can see you eating first because in the wild, uh, the most dominant wolf will eat first, the most submissive will eat last. And that... Um, you should enter rooms before your dogs again. It's all about a certain kind of alpha behavior. If your dog jumps up on you, you should throw it to the ground, sort of force it into a submissive posture. And as I said, these, do- these ideas seem to have been very um, warmly received. And I've seen in, in my group of friends that these ideas applied very widely. But there's this really interesting article doing the rounds this week by another dog trainer and scientist called Rachel Garner, who really takes Cesar Milan to task on many of these ideas, saying that they're based on a bad understanding of kind of evolutionary biology in terms of how wolves operate, in terms of how dogs have evolved. Her point is that the domestic dog has now evolved side by side with humans for years. So to try and um, assert that there's some kind of authentic wild dog inside a domestic dog, which is the state to which it aspires, is nonsense because these dogs have been with us for millennia. They are now bred as domesticated dogs. And um, also that wolves don't behave in the way that Cesar Milan claims they do in the wild. For instance, that there isn't necessarily one dominant wolf in a pack, that there's often actually quite equal non-hierarchical sibling relationships, for instance, that the dominant wolf doesn't eat first, that wolves eat all at the same time. And the most important part about this all is that if you are constantly reading every aspect of dog behavior in terms of dominance and their attempts to assert dominance over you, then you constantly have to respond with kind of aggression and dominance yourself. And the idea is that that actually creates dogs which are fearful, who see their owners 
responding in kind of unpredictable, aggressive ways. And that breeds in themselves uh, aggressive and fearful dogs. I think it's very interesting because, as I said, Milan's ideas are clearly very, very influential and widespread. And Ghana's critique really made a lot of sense to me, at least. And I would be very interested to hear from people who have been following Milan's precepts in the training of their dogs. Remember, thank you very, very, very much. And Thursday next week is when Plan B will happen as of next week on Thursdays at half past three. I look forward to it.